0: Heavenly Father, we come before you and I would pray first for all of those who are going to be involved in the facilitating of this VBS that you would protect their minds that you would guard them, Lord or help them to be guarded with the full armor of God against the wiles of the devil his fiery darts the one who would come in and tend to disrupt we ask also, Lord that all of those who would come uh, that might be hindered Pray that you would remove those hindrances, that those who would doubt whether they should come would be convinced in their own hearts that they should be here and bring their children. We pray, Lord, that you would give us all wisdom as we speak to the children and show them uh, the love of your son Jesus for us, that they would respond in a way that they would enter the kingdom, that they would not be in any doubt of where their future lies. And we pray, Lord, against the enemy. You are the one who can keep him at bay, and we ask that you would do that. And we pray that there would be a spirit of unity, that there would be no murmuring or complaining about anything, as your word says in Philippians 2.14. We are not to argue or complain about anything. So, Lord, we ask for your hand on this. And Father, all the kids that are going to come, we pray that you would work in their hearts even now and that it wouldn't be something that would be put off, but they would call out to you in their little ways that they have, that they would understand you exist and that you love them and Father, may we be an example of that love and Father, bless your word as it goes forth this morning, may we gain insight and wisdom through its pages in Jesus name. A uh, little bit before I get into the message here, if you called up an electrician and that electrician came over to your house and you needed him to install a receptacle, a lamp, and an outdoor light up on the eve, and he showed up on a motor scooter, had no ladder, no tools, and just a smile. Would you say, are you the electrician? You would probably say, I don't think you're capable of working on my house. Do you even have a tester with you? No, this is a test to get over here. (laughs) But no electrical tester? I mean, there's going to be a problem, right? So if somebody's walking around and they say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, you know, an electrician needs to have, a lot of times they'll use a five-gallon bucket. And on that bucket, they have this little drapery thing made of canvas, not drapery, but canvas thing that's in there. And it has a screwdriver and it has a tester and it has dykes and it has needle nose pliers. And it probably has a little place for a bottle of water or soda. And he is all set and he's got his glasses on so he can read the panel in what particular um, Uh, breaker goes to which receptacle he would do all of that right and you'd say "Ah, he is an electrician he's ready to go and he probably even shows you his ID and says I'm a contractor I have a a C license over here and he gives you the number and he's bonded and insured he is an electrician if somebody is a Christian and they show up at your house and you say you know I, I wanted to talk to somebody about God and you show up and they say what would you like to know and you say, well, you know, I don't even know if I'm saved. How do I get saved? And if you can't give him a verse, how do you get saved? Are you kind of like that electrician? For instance, you should be able to say something like Romans 10, 9 and 10. Well, you know, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Or you could also go to Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. You know, the Philippian jailer, he thought he was going to have to kill himself because there was an earthquake, the rooms opened up, and he thought no one was going to be left, and they called out to him and said, no, don't kill yourself. And he ran in there and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household will be saved. And so these verses, you want to be able to give to them. Like, how do I get saved? This is how you get saved. Well, what if somebody says, Well, I don't need, I think I lost my salvation. Can you lose your salvation? Well, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5, it says that the Holy Spirit has been given as a deposit guaranteeing the things that are come, are to come. It says that also in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and also in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that in there. And you could go to at least three scriptures and you could give them assurance of their salvation. Especially if they're questioning it, they're probably saved. It's the person who doesn't question it. That is probably not saved. Well, what if a Jehovah witness comes to your door? Do you say, oh, thank you very much. I know what I believe. Goodbye. And you shut the door. Is that what you do? Or do you say, Come on in and sit down. I have some questions for you. And you say, "Do you have your New World Translation handy?" I'd like to ask you a question. We've actually been talking about this in church. And I don't want to ask you in John chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight. After the resurrection, Thomas said he would not believe in Jesus Christ unless that he had raised from the dead, unless he could stick his fingers in his holes in his hands and his fist in his side. In John twenty twenty-eight, in the New World Translation, which is their Bible, which is a bad translation, but in their Bible. It says, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And so you would want to ask them the question. You'd say, did Thomas call Jesus God? I've seen them become discombobulated when you ask them that question. And then you can say, you know, my Bible, my version, has probably ten verses that say that Jesus is God. Romans chapter nine, verse five says, For theirs are the patriarchs from whom is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever, praise, amen. You already gave him John twenty, twenty eight. And you could also give him something like Titus two. 2- 13 like while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ so what say you you think that jesus is actually michael the archangel well you know he's not because even in the book of hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 god the father makes a distinction between the angels and the son and he says about the son your throne O god will last forever and ever so he's saying the son the father is saying the son is god and if you give them that, what is, what's going to happen? And then the third thing you can give them, because you only have two to five minutes to talk to them there, because they're going to be scurrying away as soon as you give them. You pull out that sword and it goes, shing! And you're using it. You know, you're just slicing and dicing. And they think that after you resurrect from the dead, you get another chance to inhabit this earth, because after all, they don't believe you go to heaven. Only the 144,000 go to heaven. And you can turn to them and say, do you know in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, it is appointed unto man once to die and then comes judgment. There's no second chance that is there. Well, what if a Mormon comes to your door? You know, and they they have their white shirts on and their tie and their little black and white Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints and their elders at age 17 and 18. What do you say to them? Well, you can say to them, well, you know, I notice you guys have these temples in these various cities and around the world where you guys get sealed for all of eternity to the person you're married to. Of course, only certain people can go to those weddings, and you can say, I've never been to one of those weddings. But did you know that in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, to the Pharisees because they didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe that there's life after death. Jesus said to them, "You err because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. There is neither marrying nor given in marriage in heaven." Do you know that Jesus also said that in the Gospel of Luke? Do you know that Jesus said it twice recorded by two different people and yet you get sealed in this temple for all of eternity to be married? to somebody here on earth and maybe you might have several spouses you know that would be adultery according to ephesians chapter 5 because we are the bride of christ we're married to christ how can you say you're going to be married to somebody else up there and they might say well you know we don't really think that that particular passage is really valid and we choose our own scriptures now the book of mormon the pearl of great price and the doctrines and covenants even though we have the king james version all of that in our quad that we carry around and so they might say, well, you can go into the patriarchal blessing. I don't want to go too far in that. But it also works with Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, because they think you also get another chance when you get resurrected. And you'd say, did you know, Mr. Mormon elder, that you don't get a second chance that is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. Have you read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25? Have you gone through it and actually examined it? No matter what anybody else says, this is the word of God. Have you checked it out? Well, what about the problem of evil? Somebody comes to you and says, you know, I will not believe in God because there's so much evil. And you can say, I perceive that you are very perceptive because you know something that is called evil. How do you know if something is evil? Well, obviously, you must know that something is good. If there's something as good, there's a moral law that exists out there. And, of course, moral laws just don't spontaneously generate. So when you say that there is evil, you are affirming that there is a moral law. And if there is a law, there is a law giver. Therefore, God exists. And so what was your objection to the existence of God because there is evil? How do you know that a line is crooked unless you know a line is straight? And remember the syllogisms that I've given you before? The first one is, well, they could object and say, God created everything, right? And you can say, yes, I affirm that God created everything. And then they could say that evil is a thing. Therefore, God created evil. And God is not good or he's not powerful, something like that. And you say, oh, contraire. That's the wrong syllogism to use. The right syllogism is God created all things. We agree on that. And they say, yes, we agree on that. Evil is not a thing. What do you mean evil is not a thing? God did not create evil because evil is not a thing. A thing like evil if you want to call it a thing just in conversation, is like rot in a tree. Take away the tree. Do you have rot? There's no rot. Does rot come walking in? Hey, rot, have a seat. Something like that. Or what about rust on an automobile? If you don't have an automobile, do you have rust? No. What about wound on an arm? You have to have the arm to have the wound. That's what evil is like. Evil is what is known as a, and you can look up the word, a privation. It's something that just goes away. It's something that causes decay. It's a lack. And so if you get those things down, you are a Christian. You are one that can answer the difficult questions that somebody may have. And if you're a Christian and you can say, I know the Ten Commandments. And what is the first one? You shall have no other gods before me. What's the second one? You shall not make any graven image. You shall not take God's name in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You shall honor your mother and father. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery or adultery and murder. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. Those types of things, if somebody were to convict you in a court of law, they would put you on the stand and the stand would be over here and the judge would say, sustained over there. And then the prosecuting attorney stands up and says, Sir, do you know the Ten Commandments? You can say, I most certainly do. And you can run those off. Well, if you don't know the Ten Commandments, what if you're completely in the void i can't say that that person's a christian they don't even know the 10 commandments in there what about the books of the bible do you know where to turn in the bible i've talked to the guys on thursday about all of this stuff and i said i don't care if you have to have the pharisee tabs in your bible go ahead put those things in there and look where you need to turn in the bible if i say you need to turn to joel you're not turning to jude You know kind of where that is. That's on the left-hand side of the Bible, more towards the center. You know, there's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And you can go to all of those minor prophets right there in the end of the Old Testament. You can say, yes, that's where I'm supposed to go. If you can do all of that, people are going to say, yeah, I'm one of those Christians. And you go to church on Sunday, and you think, I'm not missing that or home fellowship? Why would I do that? I am a Christian. I am a CH. I am a C-H-I-M-A-C-H-R-A-S-E-I-N. You know, something like that. That's the type of witness we need to be. If we never endeavor to do any of that, it's like the electrician. I don't need a bucket. I don't need a tester. I, I use my tongue on the battery. That's how I know <laughs> if it's good. You know, something like that. You can do that, but nobody's going to think you're qualified as an electrician. Are you qualified as a believer? Are you studying to show yourself approved? Are you becoming that disciple? That's Jesus' desire for us. That people would look at us and say, yeah, they're a believer. That's my encouragement to you this morning. The reason I'm telling you all of this, I spent several hours yesterday going through Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and I Lawrence, whatever his name is, the physicist, I'm all these atheists, and there uh Neil deGrasse, Tyson, that guy, I don't know if you've listened to him, they are so against God and the creation which is out there. And there's so many reasonable answers. But I was trying to put myself in the position of the people that they were debating. And these guys are good, especially Christopher Hitchens when he was alive. The things that he would say and how they would say them. Like, for instance, if you went on one point, he would rebut with six or seven. And he was quick-witted as well. If you ever watch his videos. Most people could not go up against somebody like that. He would be like the heavyweight. But as he would speak, especially Christopher Hitchens, as he would speak, each one of those items, I kind of, because people have taught me, I kind of knew what they had taught me would fit right in as an answer for them. And they're taking a lot of liberty. They're reading things into the text. They're just assuming what the world thinks of Christians is correct or what the world thinks of God is correct. And the big thing that they go to is this first cause. What caused you? Your parents. Your parents. What caused their parents? Their parents. All the way back to Adam and Eve. What caused Adam and Eve? God. What caused the earth? God. What caused the universe? God. Then they say, what caused God? See, that's the problem in theology. There is no first cause with God. God is the cause. And he's outside of time. He created something out of nothing. It's called ex nihilo. And if we can answer those people who are atheists and we can give them an explanation for God... Well, we might win some or we might be like a pebble, a little stone in your shoe that they start walking. That that little thing is just bugging me. And they're what they said. I just forget it. I don't like it. There was a Jehovah witness that used to come here every year and a half or so. His name was Peter Barnes. And he came out of the Jehovah Witness, the Watchtower organization. He got saved by one guy giving him one verse. I think it's John five twenty It is, you must honor the son just as you honor the father. I think it's verse 23. And it was the pebble in his shoe. He just kept on walking. And like, Ow, this is really bothering me. And he ended up becoming a Christian. And he ended up instructing other believers how we're to be a witness to those who are out there. And so I want to give you guys this encouragement. Buck up, buddy, sister. I mean, get those muscles going. And by the way, I told the men on Thursdays, I'm giving them this stuff every Thursday so that they have it down, so that they'll be able to just recite it if a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon comes to the door or an atheist and they get into a discussion. I said, the more you get it down, the more God will use you. I said, you just wait. You get this down and the opportunities are going to come your way. We had two of them this week. Buzz, you had one. You had it on Angel's Landing in Utah. Two Mormon missionaries right there. And he started giving them. And they repented right there and jumped off and killed. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) No, But he he did a great job and padded his work. You know, another Mormon thing. These things just start arising when you prepare yourself. God wants to use you, but you have to be prepared to do it. It's kind of like... Don't be the coach of a soccer team and leave 12 kids into a cave in Thailand and think you're going to get them out if you're not an expert spelunker. And that, if you don't, haven't been watching the news, you have no idea what I'm talking about. By the way, four of those kids have come out, uh, and there's several more to come out, and one man has died. He ran out of air going back and forth, and he was the equivalent of a uh, SEAL. And so it, that's our job. Our job is to go be the rescuers. Our job is to come in and help. But if we're not prepared, it would be like you thinking you could do a seal job, like a military seal guy, and being completely unprepared or being the electrician or the carpenter without a saw and a hammer. It's not going to happen. So my encouragement to you is study to show yourself approved. Now, where were we? Matthew chapter 5. We just finished up reconciliation and forgiveness and in the context of reconciliation i'm going to pick it up in verse 23 it says therefore if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift and so in context here of reconciliation it's going to your brother somebody who is a believer but there is a case the next verse it's an adversary, probably not a believer. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth: you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And so right before that, he says, "Be reconciled to your brother and also. Be reconciled before you go to court with your adversary, the one who is against you, the one who opposes you. It's kind of like the anti-Christ who opposes Christ. You're going to have an adversary who will oppose you. And if the person is suing you, if they're dissatisfied with you, and by the way, this is a litigious society like no other people who are, unscrupulous attorneys, they would do things like in El Cajon, they would hire the homeless and they'd say, go into this particular store or whatever and use their bathroom or ask to use their bathroom. And if the owner said, okay, you can use the bathroom. And they went in there and it was not ADA approved. The attorney would bring suit with the homeless person to sue the proprietor of the store and get money from him. Then they would have to change the bathroom to ADA standards because they let somebody use it. And that's why a lot of times they'll put up a sign, no public bathrooms, because it's not ADA approved. You know, it's the ambulance chasers, things like that, the adversaries who are out there. And like I said, a lot of unscrupulous people, people who want to sue just to get advantage. Most businesses out there, a business that Patty used to work for, all the, the president did there was handle lawsuits. And it was a window company. That's all he did lawsuits that would come through. I mean, what happened? The handle broke and I... Bent a nail and I need $25,000. You know, stuff like that. I know somebody who operates in a McDonald's and their section they have about 800 people. Every single day there's somebody who comes through that wants to sue over hot coffee and they want thousands of dollars or they want to sue because they slipped. There's a church up in Idaho that I know This one of the secretaries that is up there, the, you know, Idaho. You know what it does up in Idaho in the winter? It snows. You get ice in the parking lot. You do all you can to clear the ice out. If you live up in Idaho, you think you're going to have a chance to slip? Well, they come to the church and they slip on some ice that's out in the parking lot and they want to sue. Oh, I need at least a million dollars because I fell in the parking lot. Are we supposed to be doing stuff like that? And so our adversaries settle that stuff before you go to court. Now, some people won't. Some people will not settle with you before you go because they want to rake you over the coals and take everything that you have, everything that you possess. But God says in this passage, avoid court if at all possible settle on the way meet with them before and i've had the opportunity to do this in my business and i followed this council and i met with the people and they were way behind They were thousands of dollars behind and it was a uh, 501c3 and You know, I met with them and I just said, look, I just wanted to meet with you before you you did this because chances are if I take you to court, you're going to have to hire an attorney. It's probably going to make you go bankrupt and it's going to ruin things for a lot of people. I said, I don't want that. I just want to get paid. Would you just please pay me? And so we met at a Starbucks and they were just irate that I would meet with them. And I said, look, I tried to meet with you to get this settled. If you don't want to pay me now, I'll see you in court. And they ended up paying me. And it was good that we didn't go to court. you know. And they said, well, can we pay you? No, they didn't say that. They said, we will pay you this much over this month. Okay, all right, okay. It's good, it's fine. And no interest either. And we're only going to pay you this month. We're going to take some $20 off. Okay, it's fine. Do that. It's so much easier to deal with that than to go before a judge. And so for our own purposes, no matter who it is, Meet with them first and do not go to court if you can all avoid it. You never know if you're going to win or if it's going to turn out for your favor or for their favor. So going on, with this particular subject, it says specifically that as believers, we are not to sue or take to court another believer. Now this gets into a real gray area. Somebody might say, well, what if it's a woman who was divorced by her husband and she has three kids and she needs child support and he refuses to pay? What about that? I'll get to that in a minute. This part here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, the Corinthian church was just a blow at church. They loved God. No question, they loved God. But they were just... They were like... A room full of 60 boys that were six to nine years old. And only three supervisors. Could you imagine such a room? This is what the Corinthian church was like. There were factions. They were suing each other. There were those who were saying that they were better than those. I'm Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of uh, Paul, I'm, or Peter, I'm of Jesus, you know, and they would just be divided and they'd show up to an agape feast or a communion service and they would bring the tri-tip and they'd have the guacamole and the chips and the salsa over there on the side and the brazen lamb and it, it was all good and somebody would bring Doritos and seven-up and they would not share with each other you have your food you just go over there and because of the way that they were acting God actually judged some of them because they were eating with the communion in an unworthy manner they were just blowing it and then those who had the gifts they thought that the gift of tongues was the greatest gift of all to have because it proved you were spiritual and you had the spirit of God and so everybody would speak in tongues at once and Paul goes knock it off stop doing that two or at the most three should speak at any one time and that's it and there always has to be an interpretation i mean you just look at it over and over and over they were just blowing it but they did love god and they were taking each other to court and he says, again, in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Well, it's not trivial. You know what it." You get the picture. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint point as judges, even men of little account in your church, exclamation point. He's doing exclamation points through all of this here. If you look it up, he says, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead one brother goes to the law against another and this in front of unbelievers exclamation point. I mean, Paul is pulling his hair out at this point. He's pacing back and forth as he's either dictating this or writing it himself. It says the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong and you do this to your brothers. So two people in a church, or several people in churches, this particular church in Corinth, they were suing each other. They were upset at each other. Let's go to court. All right, I'll see you in court. I got my attorney. Let's meet, yeah. And they're all set for the duel. And they go in there, and Paul is metaphorically screaming at them. And he's saying, you guys, is there not somebody there who can judge these trivial human matters? You're going to be judging angels. You should be able to judge this matter. And he goes on to say, isn't it better to be wronged? Now, what if the person owes you $10,000 and they're not going to pay it? What do you think God's will would be in that? And some would say, well, he wants me to be a good steward over what I have. And if this person will not agree to meet somebody in the church, what am I supposed to do? After all, I have these bills as well. Now, if you've been wronged and you're lacking some money and the money should be yours and it looks like you're going to come up short with bills that you have to pay, does God have the ability to bring that money in? Of course he does. He has the ability to do that. And the person may say, well, but you know, I'm just going to do this anyhow. I know of a believer. This happened decades ago. You know what a BB gun is, right? What's the first thing a parent will tell you if you have a BB gun? That's right. Don't shoot your eye out. Red Ryder, right? The Red Ryder gun, the the Christmas story or whatever it is. Don't shoot your eye out. Well, this kid grabbed a neighbor's BB gun. He looked down into this five-gallon bucket like a Home Depot orange bucket. He shot it into the bucket. What happened to the BB? Shot him in the eye. It ran the pupil. Had to have surgery on it. It's not quite the same. Don't use a BB gun. It'll shoot your eye out. I talked to this individual. He goes, yeah, I got to take him to court. You know, what happens in the future if, you know, he, he doesn't get a job or he's hindered in some way? I said, don't. Don't do this. Don't take him to court. If you have an issue and you think you need to be compensated, take it to the church. He still wanted to take it to court. That violates First Corinthians chapter 6. Which brings me to the question, what about the woman, the young woman, who she doesn't have any means of income. She's taking care of three little ones all under the age of five. The husband divorces her. He thinks he's going to get away scot-free. He's not going to be submissive to paying her anything, maybe a little bit here and there. After all, they're his kids, but not enough. Should she go to a secular court? Well, the first thing you're supposed to do is go to the church. You mean people in the church can adjudicate that? Would you be submissive to an adjudicated process inside the church if a bunch of elders were sitting around and they looked at your case and they said, this is what we decree. So many thousands of dollars need to be paid to this mother to take care of these children during their lives until they're age 18. Would people in the church submit to that? Or would they say, Well, he has no obligation to pay. If it's two believers, they're accountable to Christ. Now, what can Christ do to the individual who is not being obedient like that? He can actually take them home early. Death. I mean, that's a possibility. He can cause all kinds of hardship to come into their lives. I mean, God disciplines us. We know that from Scripture. He disciplines those who he loves. But that's the first course of action. If that isn't working and the person won't pay... You can take them to court. You can. I'm not going to say don't do it. Or you can trust in God, which your life is going to be tough. It's going to be very difficult. There's no question. I actually know of a case like this where a woman, young woman, three children under the age of five, her husband left her, wouldn't submit to anything as far as the payment goes. They went to court. He makes between six dollars and $7,000 a month he has to pay her $4,500 a month. He has to live on the rest. Now, what does that do to his heart? Could you imagine having to live on $1,500 a month, maybe a little more, and you want a car and you want to go places and you want stuff? This gets into the next section which you're coming to. We're going to deal with oaths, this type of thing, but we're also going to deal with Marriage and divorce, specifically divorce, preceded by adultery here. And when it comes to being wronged, we don't like to be wronged. We want justice is what we want. First Peter chapter two, verses 19 and 21 through 21. Talk about being wronged. If we are wronged, we are encouraged to bear up under it. If we have acted properly the whole time, this is commendable in god's sight if this takes place and this is completely contrary to the way the world works because we want justice right so does the world for it is commendable in verse 19 of first peter chapter 2 if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of god but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing what is wrong and endure it this guy who has to pay all this money he's metaphorically being beaten But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now this is talking about physical persecution, people losing their lives, also losing their possessions. It is God's habit to give to those who demand it of you. And you walk away and you say, do you need anything more? It's like, you're already taking advantage of me from the world standpoint. But God says, no, you're supposed to bless. And remember, if they sue you for your coat, give them your cloak also. But what is that? That is contrary to the world's wisdom. But God says, do it. Personally, I have a hard time with this. I want justice. I want the hammer. And whenever I went to install the hammer, that would ring through my mind you know bear up under unjust suffering and i'll have to tell you i've not always been successful i want payback i want retribution that is my heart's desire but i'm supposed to die offer my body as a living sacrifice and so then it goes on here and i have to give some context here again remember this is the sermon on the mount jesus is speaking here he has his disciples in front of him They're either standing or sitting down, but he's up on a hill, on a flat place on a hill, and he's speaking, and there are thousands of people behind him, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are all there, and they're all listening. They're chiming in to what Jesus has to say. He goes on in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5, You have heard it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. He is trying to explain here that this mutilation of the body He's not interested in that. Otherwise, how many men would be walking around with one eye? All of them. And maybe most of the women, too, or all the women. I don't know. And how many would be missing a hand? All of them. Hey, everybody is guilty of this. And some, somebody might say, well, it only happened once, and I asked for forgiveness for that. One time is enough to bring us under the judgment. And God says, this is so serious You could dismember your whole body, but it still won't take care of the lust problem, right? What if you lost both arms and both legs? What's that guy's name who's in ministry of Vic? Voytich. Nick Voytich. He still has a mind and he has two eyes. Now, he doesn't have arms, hands, or legs. Do you think he can still engage in lustful activity? absolutely he can what does he have to do gouge out his eyes you think that's going to stop it it's not going to stop it he would have to pull out his brain too his brain would not be able to stop that's the bent of the sinful nature the sinful nature is bent on evil he is just trying to explain that we need to take drastic steps to avoid doing this now who's listening to this it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everybody else. The Pharisees and the Sadducees at this particular time thought everything was okay, just short of physically sleeping with a woman. That's what they thought. And God's saying, "No, if you've even lusted in your heart, oh, conviction, all of them right there. And I was wondering if he looked up at all of them when he said it and what their response was to him and so they're they 're getting a little stabbing to the heart that 's what the Word of God does. It comes right into the heart and it either kills or it removes sin. It changes us, it transforms us and so the Pharisees were getting teaching directly from God here now, if you left was after someone who is not your spouse that 's called adultery if It's taking place, and neither one of you are married. That just leads to fornication, and lust is still... Lust is referred to as a strong desire. You have a strong desire, and God says we're to bring those desires under control. And by the way, I don't know if anybody has ever been 100% effective on that. Everybody is going to struggle with that for the rest of their lives. Why do you think that there are 7 billion people on this earth? Because God put this drive... In men and women to be with each other and to control that. It is just the worst of the worst for everybody around the world. The body says Go ahead. Scripture says don't you dare. And you're going why? Oh, what am I supposed to do? It's like God saying, Don't eat or don't breathe. This is a drive that is within us. And so it is very difficult, but God has grace upon us. He goes on to say in verse 31, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. He is directly talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees here because Divorce was rampant back then, just like it is today. And they would give an excuse for it. He goes on in verse 32, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is black and white. This is not vague. This is not nebulous. It is not like a fog. If somebody divorces and they remarry, it is called adultery. And we are guilty of breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Now, what about this? What about divorce? And by the way, when it talks about divorce here, in context, it was for being able to marry somebody else. It wasn't just divorce and that's it. You're single for the rest of your life. It was for being able... To marry somebody else, somebody who's a little more pleasing, somebody who didn't burn the toast or fry the eggs too hard, that type of thing. You could say, hey, that's, and that's just the men who are cooking. But the, this, this idea of you just get a new model, you upgrade, so to speak. I, I've actually had a Christian woman say that to me I've upgraded. <laughs> you have upgraded. <sighs> there is no upgrade if you have iOS 10 it's iOS 10 for life you you don't upgrade it's kind of like the um, not the iPhone but the Samsung you know the Samsung doesn't give upgrades you have to buy a new phone to get the new upgrade because there are so many vendors that are involved in getting the applications upgraded on this. But the iPhone, is just like four times a year. Let's get an upgrade to this thing. And then it does something and you lose something on there and you get all frustrated and you go to the I store and they, they say, oh, it's just a new upgrade. Yeah, they took that. out. I don't want that. You get the picture, right? That same thing happens in marriage. If you get upgrades four times a year. You go into the store. I wasn't counting on this. I didn't know this was going on. And you complain. and I'm going to get on with this. And so this this idea that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was in Deuteronomy chapter 24 that Moses permitted them a writ of divorcement if there was something going on where they weren't satisfied with their marriage. And there were two camps during the time of Jesus, one of Hillel and one of Shammai. Hillel said, you can divorce her for anything, anything at all. If you find her displeasing, that's it. If her hair got cut and you didn't want it cut, that's it. Whatever it was, she didn't go to the store and get the right things at Albertsons, and she came home and you wanted lemon chicken, and it wasn't barbecue chicken, and she blew That's it. I'm done with it. You could do it for whatever reason you wanted to include. Reasons given for divorce. I have 24 right here. I've simply been enduring the relationship, adultery or infidelity. It's not a loving relationship. She doesn't fulfill his needs. He isn't providing. I had to do this for myself. I never was really in love with him or her. He is mean and mentally cruel. He's an alcoholic. He abuses drugs. He's lazy. She's let herself go. She is always nagging. By the way, the nagging one, I saw this little cartoon. This guy has hung himself in front of the mantle in their home, elderly couple, and he's hanging there with a note on him. And on the note, it said something like, well, the woman came up and she had her glasses on and she's looking at the note like this. And she said, a little caption, you spelled critical spirit wrong. (laughs) Always nagging. (laughs) I mean, that's just it right there. She's a terrible mother. He's a terrible father. There's a lack of commitment. There's constant arguing. We married too young. Unrealistic expectation. The marriage is unequal. Too much responsibility on one spouse and not the other. We were not prepared. We're growing apart. Lack of communication. Incompatibility. incompatibility, Irreconcilable differences. You may have 24 more. Now, I'm speaking kind of lightly about this, but this is serious stuff. You know, in order to make serious stuff sometimes palatable, you have to throw in a little bit of humor because, I mean, everything else can just be in the doldrums. There's no movement. You come under condemnation like I've made this mistake and how am I supposed to correct it? And I don't want to correct it because it was so terrible. I get all of that. And next week, we're going to go through the rest of scriptures that deal with this. Divorce, adultery, and remarriage have affected all of us. There is not one person in here who it has not affected in some way. Either you have gone through a divorce, you're going to go through a divorce, or you've committed adultery, or all of these things apply to us. And it is very, very serious in the eyes of God. And God has some wisdom here on how we're supposed to deal with this, how we're supposed to view it from his standpoint. But if you're struggling with that, I I need to let everyone know up front. Our God is a God of grace. He does judge sin, and there is reward that will be lost, but God is a God of mercy. Sometimes he chooses not to repay us according to our sins. It's all in His prerogative. We just need to be submissive to Him at every opportunity whenever we can. And it's hard. And I have to remind you of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We live in a fallen world. There is a lot of sickness and disease both mentally and physically out there and we judge things incorrectly and we make mistakes. And God still comes along and says, I understand and I still love you and I'm still going to be your God. But we need to know what his will is so that we can communicate it to others. Let's pray. Father, I, I would lift up those who have been affected by adultery or by divorce and remarriage and just all the problems associated with that. You are a God of grace. You are a God who loves us and we blow it like the f- Corinth. Oh Lord, they, they have just blown it so many times and they are an example to us of who we are. But father, we call upon you for your grace and your mercy. May you minister to us, the ones who are fallen We confess our sins to you. We ask for that forgiveness. And we know your word says you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So, Lord, we fall at your feet, whether literally or just in our hearts. We ask for your hand, your guidance, your protection, your blessing, but also a double dose of your spirit to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.